Our scripture reading comes from Acts 18, 1 through 11 this morning. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. So the last few weeks, uh, I have been gone. I've been on vacation. And as many of you, uh, I'm sure do, when, when you go on vacation, there's like, there's two people in a lot of households. There's the pack super early person. And there's the last-minute packing person. Which one do you think I am? Pop quiz. Susan, which one do you think I am? You're going to answer. The last minute for sure. I'm not the packer. Susan will pack, like, days ahead of time. And, you know, just in case you forget something, you know, then you can know you have it. Uh, instead, I'm like, oh, this is a good group of black T-shirts. That will work. Uh, and then I just kind of go on. Uh, but one thing I did make sure to pack a lot of this year, uh, and I haven't always been good at it before, but I actually packed three pairs of glasses. So the ones I'm wearing, I brought, I didn't have to pack those, those were on my face. Uh, they lit me through security and everything. Uh, so I brought these, I brought my old pair of glasses, and then I brought a pair of prescription sunglasses. Now, now why would I do that? Because I'm going to spend a lot of time on a lake, I was going to spend a lot, we went back to Minnesota, land of 10,000 lakes, we were on two of them, um, and, and we spent a lot of time, and, and if you've ever lost a pair of glasses on vacation, has anyone ever done that? Like prescription ones, I'm not talking like sunglasses. Sunglasses, that's annoying. Prescription ones, you can't see for the rest of your vacation, right? Or, or you have to like, emergency, like find a way, like how can I get new prescription glasses, it would be a really big deal, so I packed three pairs uh, just in case. Now, luckily, I came back with all three. So, well done, me. Uh, thank you. There, there was like a cheering section in the back. Uh, well done, me. But the reason I bring this up is, is that these things on my face, this is how I see the world. Everything I see is through these lenses. If, if I take them off, my eyesight isn't terrible, but I can't like drive. You know, it's not going to be like that good. So, so my whole world is seen through these lenses. And, and as we get into Scripture today, we're getting into the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, and one of the really important things here is that Paul is trying to give the people of Corinth a new lens 
that they're going to see the world through. They've been looking at the world through however they grew up, whatever culture they've been in, whatever experience they've had. That, that's been their lenses. Paul is saying, now that you're followers of Jesus, you're going to have to put on some new glasses. You're going to have to get some new lenses, some, some new ways of how you're going to see relationships, some new ways of how you're going to see family. How are you going to see your community? How are you going to see your work life? It's going to look different. It's going to be through a different lens. And and to not give you too much of a spoiler, but the people in Corinth, these early followers, they're not good at it. And sometimes, actually, how bad they are at it makes me feel a little better. Because I'm not great at it either. And, And I think many Christians aren't great. We're not great at putting on like our, uh, in youth ministry, we call it like our Jesus goggles. When we, were, when we were on like mission trips, like, tr- like try to see the world through like how Jesus would see other people, you know, kind of idea. And I, I'm really not uh, an all-star at this. You know, it's, it's this growth area we're trying to see, you know, not just how I grew up, that's how I view a, a, you know, a friendship or a relationship, but, but like what, is, what does the Bible mean? You know, if, if the gospel is true, if, if Jesus died for, for my sins, if Jesus died for the sins of that other person, how... How does that affect my vision? How does that affect how I'm looking at them? And the church in Corinth is really struggling. They're really struggling with this. So, uh, struggling so much that I have called this sermon series on 1 Corinthians the prodigal church. So many of you, if you've gone to church a long time, you kind of know the prodigal son story. Uh, It's this story of a son. Uh, Jesus is telling a parable, and, and in the parable, the son runs away from the father. He asks for his portion of the inheritance. He runs away. He squanders uh, it all. He spends it on what the Bible calls wild living. Um, If you haven't ever been there, good for you. Uh, Some of you have maybe squandered some on wild living in the past, and and he's gone, and he wastes it all. And and it calls him uh, the prodigal son, which which simply just definition-wise means spending money or resources freely and recklessly wastefully, extravagantly. So the son runs off and, and he spends all these resources and, and he finds himself in a, in a place of extreme poverty. And, and he starts daydreaming about what it was like back home. And not even just for himself, being a son of his father, but, but he's saying, you know, even the servants back then had it better than I do now. Um, he, was, he was in a real low place, so he he kind of gets himself together and he says, I'm going to go home and I'm just going to beg for forgiveness to my father, not to be his son again, uh, but, but maybe I can at least be a servant in his household because, because he knew his father was a good man and he at least treated his servants well. And, and we're told in Jesus' parable that while the son was still far off, that the father who represents God in the story doesn't just see him and, and uh, have some kind of moment of joy inside. He isn't just... Uh, thankful for him. I mean, that would be radical enough, but we're actually told that the father runs to him, which culturally speaking back then is is mind-boggling. That this father, he literally would have the long robe on, so he lifts his robe up past his knees, and he runs to his son, and when he gets to his son, he wraps his arms around him. Before the son can even apologize, before he can even say, make me one of your servants, uh, we're told that, that the father fully restores him as his son, and it's this beautiful image of of this radical generosity of God towards towards sinners, towards those who have turned away from God and and wandered from God and and then repent, which means they turn around, they come back, and 
And God is right there, running toward them. It's this beautiful story. Well, what does it mean for the church in Corinth, or America if you prefer, however you want to think about it, (laughs) to be a prodigal church? To be a church that has lost their first love? To be a church that that has received the love of God and, and then in some ways kind of turned against that and, and ran sometimes in opposite direction. So much so that they can't, even, they can't even effectively evangelize this church in Corinth. We'll get there in a few weeks, but, but they try to reach out to other people with who Jesus is, and they're not interested because of how this church is behaving. People from the outside look in and they say, I don't want relationships like that. People from the outside look in and they say, if if that's what following Jesus is like, I'm better off following these other gods. If that doesn't feel at least a little bit convicting, a little bit, I think you kind of need to open up your eyes to how the world around us is seeing the church in America. They're looking inside, many of them, and they're saying, I don't know if I'm interested in that. And it breaks my heart, but I don't always blame them. And I'm an insider, right? Like, I'm, I'm a pastor. <laughs> like, this is, this is what I do. This is what I've, like, given my whole life to do. And, and I look around, and, and even family members of mine, they, they look into the church, and they say, I don't know if I want that. And, and I'm like, I try to say, no, there's, there's good things going on. Church, churches love people in this way. And they say, yeah, but what about this other side? And, and as, as you look through it, it breaks our heart. And I am so encouraged, hopefully you are, that there's books in the New Testament that are written to people just like us. So we're going to spend the next uh, number of weeks looking in the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, Kind of, I have it broken up in section, kind of bigger categories. So it's going to be five more weeks after today, and we're going to look at these these bigger categories of what's going on. But before we get there, um, I want to do some background uh, information on this uh, this text. And we actually, uh, in, in kind of a really neat way, we get uh, background information right in the Bible. So it's a little odd. I'm starting a, a sermon series on 1 Corinthians, and the scripture reading today was from the book of Acts. <laughs> it's not from 1 Corinthians. The reason being is because in the book of Acts, we're, we hear about Paul's missionary journey to Corinth. We hear some of that background information. We're not, we're not just totally uh, you know, out there not knowing what's going on. So, so if you don't know much about Corinth, Corinth was a major, major city in the Roman world couple hundred years, uh, maybe not even that far before this. It was, it was a Greek city-state. It was pretty strong, and, and the Roman Empire came in, and, and we're told that they wiped out the Greek city-state. Uh, and, and some historians believe that the area just actually sat empty, that no one was there for a number of years. But, but Corinth, uh, this area was so prominent. It was so important. It was this port city. It had a port on either side, and, and, and just by bringing your ship there and and unloading your goods and bringing them to the other side, you got to avoid this really dangerous stretch of the Mediterranean Sea where storms came right out of nowhere. Uh, and what happens at port cities is you get to charge tax, right? So, so this is great for the Corinthians. They get to, 
they get to charge money to move these goods and to move it onto another ship. And uh, so there's a lot of wealth there. There's a lot of trade there, but there's also a lot of sailors always coming through. And, and it's also a great place for land trade also. And, and it means it's the city with a lot of different cultures, a lot of different uh, things going on. By the time uh, we're in the book of Acts, the city is very large. It's one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. And uh, it is filled to the brim with, with temples to different gods. Uh, it's filled with a, just this major economic center. Uh, so much so that there's this whole like, group of Christian historians that think Paul picked this place on purpose because it was so influential. There was a little bit like, like if the gospel can make it there, then it'll spread. But, but they wanted the church to be strong there. But the other part about Corinth is it was not an easy place to follow Jesus. I mentioned all these temples. They were just woven through every part of life, every part of culture. Just, uh, just to go to a social gathering was normally at one of these temples. If, if, you, if you were a business person and you went to a meal the meal took place at the temple, and the meat that you were eating was just sacrificed to a god. This was just commonplace. It was, it was just everywhere. It was what it meant to live there. So, so how do these Christians adapt into this new setting? What does it look like? It looks really messy. It looks really messy, and it looks like they disagree on a ton of things. So here's kind of the structure of the book. As, as we get to 1 Corinthians, I see kind of five main uh, sections. Uh, I'll walk through each one, but there's kind of five main sections. And here's what, here's what Paul is doing. Paul is, uh, he's the one in Acts that we hear he goes to Corinth, uh, and I'll read that in a second. But he, he goes to Corinth and then uh, kind of starts these small home churches. And, and he's there for about a year and a half. Uh, we're told in Acts that he's there for a year and a half, and then he leaves and he starts planting more churches in other areas uh, around their world. And he gets uh, some kind of correspondence. He gets letters or he gets people sent to him, and they start talking about all the problems back at the church in Corinth. All these things that are going on, all these, all these issues that are forming. Uh, and there's really like five main ones. So, so each of these weeks, we're going to focus on another one of these issues. But before I read them off, let's go right into the book of Acts here. This is Acts chapter 18. Uh, and I'll just read the first part of chapter 18. It says, after this, Paul left Athens. He was in Athens and he went to Corinth. Uh, there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered that all the Jews leave Rome. That's very interesting. So Claudius is a Roman emperor. Uh, we actually have uh, historical accounts of this, apart from the Bible, uh, kind of Roman accounts. Uh, what apparently was happening was, was the Jewish people in Rome, in these, this new Christian group that, that to the Romans were all Jewish, it was just like, the Jewish people that follow Jesus, and then like the whole Jewish people, um, they, were, they were so much infighting between these two groups that the Roman Empire, the Roman Emperor just, just eventually just kicked them all out of the capital city. The entire people group. So they spread ac across the, the rest of the Roman world, and we're told right here um, that 
that Aquila and his wife Priscilla are two of them. That they were living in Rome, and they're, now they're displaced. Now they're, they've moved to Corinth. Uh, we don't know why. Maybe they had uh, relatives there. Maybe they were from there. But they've moved away, and they're now living in Corinth. And we're told that Paul went to see them. And then verse 3. Because he, meaning Paul, was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So Paul literally makes tents. <laughs> That's what that means. He's a tent maker. He, he makes tents. They also make tents. You know, it's a very common thing that people will need. Uh, he makes them. So, so he goes with people in the same trade. He's not making enough off these missionaries. They're not like just handing them bags of gold uh, when he goes places and starts telling them about Jesus. So he has this other job that he does. And so he goes with these people because uh, they do the same thing. Verse 4, we're told every Sabbath, Paul uh, reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So who's he going to? He's trying to teach them about Jesus. Paul uh, is in town. He goes to the synagogues. That, that's the gathering uh, of the Jewish people in the area. And he wants to, to tell them about who Jesus is, that the Messiah has come. Um, that it goes on, uh, as the chapter goes on, for, for us to hear that, that he's teaching them, uh, again, who the Messiah is and and he's rejected, ultimately, by the Jewish population in town. By the end of the paragraph here, we're told that, that Paul kind of, um, well, his, his words uh, to the, the Jewish people who have rejected him, he says, your blood will be on your own hands. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. The Gentiles just simply means anyone who's not uh, Jewish. So we can already see that this church in Corinth is kind of this mixed bag. You have people of a Jewish background, you have people of a Gentile, or sometimes the Bible just calls it a Greek background. It just means any other group. Um, and, and they're trying to mix together. And what does this look like for them? We're told in verse 8 that many of the Corinthians heard Paul, and that many of them believed, and many of them were baptized. And he stayed there for a year and a half, continues to have issues uh, in town, continues to be persecuted by this Jewish population that is rejecting his message about Jesus being the Messiah. Um, they actually put him on trial. It, it gets uh, quite severe. And then we're told down in verse 18 that eventually, a year and a half later, Paul uh, and some of his companions left and they sailed for Syria. But this church is still there. Right, so they didn't, the whole church didn't get up and go with Paul. The church is still there. It's just, it's just this missionary that came into town, taught them about who Jesus is, planted these churches. There's several home churches is, is most likely what's going on. They meet uh, in private residence, um, kind of spread out through the city. It's a large city. And, uh, and then Paul, their, their missionary, their leader, moves on to go teach others about who Jesus is. And now the church has to figure out how do we function in this world? How do we behave in this world that we're now in? We're, we're different from everyone else. And, and now there's this, for probably the first time for many of them, this firm distinction between uh, the Jewish people that have rejected this message and the ones that have accepted it. And they're kind of their own small, isolated people group of, well, what does it mean to live in Corinth? How do we live uh, in this place? 
And a little while later, Paul gets reports that it's not going well. That there's significant problems going on in this world. I'll tell you in other weeks, it's not like little things. There's big issues going on in this church, and it actually prompts Paul to write two letters. So we get kind of half of the information. We get 1 Corinthians, we get 2 Corinthians. We can figure out by what Paul says what the problems were. Uh, but we're, we're doing a little bit of that when you get into the epistles, uh, how I've heard it described. I kind of like it. They say you're kind of reading someone else's mail <laughs> in some ways. That, now, that doesn't mean it doesn't apply to us. It doesn't mean it's not important. It's in, it's in our Bible, but, but we need to do some hard work to figure out what's going on here. How does this apply to them? How does this apply to us? What, what is going on? And here's kind of the structure. There's, there's five main points, and I'll focus on one uh, each of the following weeks. But the whole book is about what I talked about in the beginning. The whole book is about learning to live in this world with a new set of lenses, with a, a new set of, of ways to look at the world that, that actually looks through the good news of what Jesus has done and kind of reorders the world around that. So every section, Paul addresses a problem, and then it's pretty simple. He, he addresses a problem, and then the next thing he does is he says something about Jesus, something about the good news of who Jesus is and how it applies to that problem. It's kind of like, oh, you're having a hard time, you know, loving each other? Well, Jesus says to love one another. <laughs> you know, like, it's not, it's not, it's not rocket science here, <laughs> uh, Here's what's going on. Here's what the gospel says. And therefore, because of this new lens, because of this new light, you should be living this way. Quit quit living the way that you have been. So the first section is chapters 1 through 4. I'll talk about it next week in detail. but, But it talks about divisions in the church. Real quickly, after Paul, some other teachers have come and um, and some of the people, some of the churches have decided that, that they're, uh, they have a favorite Bible teacher. They've kind of dedicated themselves to that person. They say, no, I like to follow Paul. And somebody else says, no, 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 I like to follow this other person that came, came a few weeks later. And, and, so, and another church saying, no, I like to follow this other one. And they start identifying with that. And, and the people have kind of strangely put their alliance in Bible teachers instead of in Jesus. It's like, I like to follow Pastor John. <laughs> no, 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 I like Pastor Jeff. He's at Big Trees Church. It's great. <laughs> you know, like, this stuff applies, right? You see, you see how this is still going on in our world? It's like, it's like they pick which one, and then they're like, well, mine's better than yours. <laughs> and Paul goes into this detail and he, and he says, no, they're all servants of Jesus. You're not, you're not following a person, you're following Christ. That's what's good. Don't you know that, that these leaders that you're looking to, if, if their leader's worth anything, they would just step aside and point other people towards Jesus. Chapters 5 through 7 talks about relationships, and relationships is my like PG term. It actually is talking about, like, sex. I just didn't want to put that, like, on the side, on the sermon screen. Uh, <laughs> I could have, whatever. Uh, but, but there's a number of people in the church that are sleeping around. 
like I said, it gets, it gets worse. All right? There's a number of people in the church, and they're sleeping around, and Paul's like, this is not right. This is not right what's going on. There's one guy who, who is having a relationship with his own stepmother. Paul's like, this, this is not good. No, you think that's bad. It gets worse. There's people that are going to temples. Not only are they going to temples, they're eating the meal, they're eating the food that's sacrificed to these idols. That's questionable. There's, there's a lot of disagreements there. Um, without really any detail at all, how it worked in the Roman world is a lot of these temples, one of the ways you worshipped was with a prostitute. So that's what's going on. The people are going to these temples, they're engaging in, in the food part of it, and they're sticking around for the rest of it. And, and word comes to Paul, and Paul says, no, 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 no. And they say, yeah, we can do it because we're free in Christ. There's so much grace. Come on, Paul. There's so much grace. And Paul is saying, no, no, that grace was not free. That, that grace was not put there so that, so that you can spend it frivolously. And, and don't you know that your bodies matter? So he goes into that section. Chapters 8 through 10 is about food, and particularly food that is, that is sacrificed to these idols. You have, remember, you have this mixed group. You have the, the Jewish Christians, you have the non-Jewish Christians, and, and the Jewish Christians cannot fathom the idea that you would ever eat this food that has been sacrificed to another god. It just doesn't even compute in their minds. And the, the Christians who were Gentiles before, they said, you know, but our teachers, they say that those... There's our idols, but they're just wood. You know, they're not, they're not real uh, in the first place, so what does it matter if I, eat, uh, if I eat this food? And the problem there is it's not so much the food, it's the division. It's that this, this church is, is divided, and they've put being right or being wrong higher than loving each other. The, the Jewish Christian group is not asking, how do I love these Gentiles well? And the Gentile group is not asking, how do I love uh, this, this Jewish Christian group well? They're actually looking at uh, the situation and they're saying, I'm right and you're wrong. And good thing the church got over that. Uh, so You're supposed to laugh. Uh, good thing the church got over that in the last 2,000 years. We're, we're, we're done with saying, I'm right, you're wrong, you're, you're silly. Let's let that divide us and let's not even love each other or, or speak to each other or uh, certainly be in the same you know, small group or something. Um, how terrible would that be? So Paul clearly needs to address this also. And then uh, two more real quickly. Chapters 11 through 14 is about their gatherings. Together, they gather for church. We're told that they're, gather, they're gathering once a week. They're gathering on Sundays. They're worshiping. And they are very, very chaotic events. Sounds funny to us? feel like we've gotten a little better in the last 2,000 years. I feel like we could pat ourselves on the back, at least for that part. Uh, yay, we made one. Um, but, but these gatherings are very distracting. They're very chaotic. We're told that that some people are having these powerful spiritual experiences and they're standing up right in the middle of it. The gospel is being presented from the front, we're told, and people are standing up and they start speaking their own word of truth that, that they're hearing. And then somebody else 
uh, is hearing their own thing, and they're standing up, and they're interrupting the first person. Now two people are yelling, and there's a person in the front, and then a third person stands up and starts yelling their own word from God. And it gets so bad that we're told that new people, new people to the gathering, can't hear the gospel. They can't hear about Jesus because everyone's talking at the same time about what God is telling them. Paul doesn't even like really get into the details like, is God telling them things? It, it seems here that God is telling those people those things. But, but God, or Paul, it more goes into, uh, is this chaos even right? Is this how we're supposed to gather? Is this, is this effective? Is this loving those new people who, who don't even know who Jesus is yet? And yet they're so distracted in the gathering, there's, there's no chance for them to find out. And then the last one is odd to us. Apparently some of these teachers, this is in chapter 15, some of these teachers that came to town said, yes, Jesus lived. He had his disciples, he did all of his miracles, he was the son of God, uh, and he died on the cross. But, but they started teaching that they don't need Easter. That, well, this part where he was like raised from the dead, we're not sure about that. And, and not only are we not sure, but it doesn't matter. That's what they taught. It didn't matter. How many of you think Paul had an opinion about if Easter matters? It's pretty important. I mean, I feel like, again, well, well done, church, in the last 2,000 years. We've gotten that a little better, at least most of us. Uh, we, we at least get that, uh, that the resurrection matters, that it matters greatly, that, that it matters on if we're, if we're saved or not. You know, if Jesus is not raised, how are we supposed to be raised? So Paul reacts to that teaching in chapter 15. You know, it's really easy to look at Scripture and to, to kind of intellectually learn what's going on. Even, even if somebody explains it just like I did, you can kind of get it. You can't understand what's going on. And, and then there's like this disconnect before we apply it into our own lives, especially if it's something that's convicting at all. Uh, I used to be really good at this. I know uh, a lot of people... Uh, who are really good. I used to be able to compartmentalize my entire life. I'm talking about like my teenage years. I, I was different people depending on where I was. You probably would have only known church John. But, but there was a separate John that was like school John. Completely different person than church John. Uh, I had a job in high school, so there was like a work John. There was there was John, like when he was on sports teams. These people did not act the same as each other. Uh, there, was, there was John at youth group, who was also different than John at Sunday morning worship. Those were two different people. There was, there was John when he was spending time with his grandmother. And then there was John when he was spending time with just his friends. Right? And I was so good at it. <laughs> Sounds funny to say, right? But, but there is some truth to that. I think we all can kind of do it, at least to some extent. Hopefully we're, we're maturing. Hopefully we're kind of growing past. Hopefully we're becoming more of a unified person. But it is an easy, easy mistake to make. And, and it seems like, as, as I look at uh, 1 Corinthians, that there's a lot of different, like, who's the church in Corinth? depending on the topic, depending on the issue, depending on what's going on, how the relationships are going with each other, their, their 
treating each other a different way. They're acting a different way. They're interacting with the world around them in a different way than they're interacting with each other. And, and it's leading towards confusion. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You don't get to have ten different lenses in how you see the world. What if I had ten different prescription glasses, <laughs> right? It just wouldn't work. You don't get to have, uh, this is how I see the world when I'm at school, uh, and, and then this is how I see the world when I'm at work, uh, and I have my like customer service voice on, uh, and then this is how I see it when I'm playing sports, and this is how I see it uh, when I'm at church. And then I go to church, and I learn this lesson. I'm like, okay, I'll put that in my church box. Thank you very much. Uh, and, then I, and then I move on with my week. The, the point of, of 1 Corinthians, the point of this sermon, as we get into this text, is to say that the gospel is not just good moral advice for how we should live life. That's not all it is. The gospel is actually this announcement about the good news of who Jesus is and how it opens up this entire new reality that we are called to live into. We are called to be different people because of what Jesus did for us. And, and we're not called to be 15 different people. <laughs> we're called to be one person who's different than the old person. And and living in a new way, interacting in a new way, in new relationships with people, and in, in new uh, connections as a family, in a new community, in new uh, work environments. We aren't just, just separated out into these different people of who we are. It's all woven together in who Jesus is, what he has done for us. The, the call in all of 1 Corinthians is to just throw off that old self. That, that old one that, uh, you know, put your identity in, in whether you were a Jewish Christian or, or a Gentile Christian. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> that's, that's not how this is going down. You're not going to divide over this. You're, you're going you're gonna to be one. You're going to point people towards who your Savior is. You need, you need to live in a way that shows the gospel. Now the hard part with this work is that it's not like one generation gets it right and the rest of us get to coast. Because it's a new setting, it's a new culture, it's a new time. People, people say right now, oh, our world is changing around us faster than, than ever. You know, due to technology, due to these other things. Well, that means the church has got some work to do. Because, because we need to figure out how to be the church right now. And not, not divide over these other things. Not, not do all these things that, that the church in Corinth was doing. And like I said in the beginning, I'm just excited that, that we can actually look to the Bible and get some direction on that. Because I don't want to figure it out on my own. So we're going to do that over the course of the next number of weeks. Uh, hopefully uh, in ourselves, hopefully as an entire congregation and and, and we're going to just ask God to give us new lenses uh, to see this world around us. And uh, I would encourage you, just before I, I pray at the end here, in your bulletin uh, is a reading plan. Uh, hopefully you all got it for uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. I, I like to do these several times a year as a, as a whole church. 
Uh, so the first part just kind of explains us what we're doing. The, the back side actually is the date and then what scripture we're all reading together that day. So I really hope uh, you follow along with that. I, I printed them on a size that I think is convenient enough to just kind of stick in your Bible, use as a temporary bookmark uh, for a time and be able to just go through this book together. Um, like I said, this is a six-week series on a whole chapter or a whole book in the Bible. Can't cover all of it, but we can certainly read all of it together. So please uh, be joining in that. Um, somebody have it in front of you? Does it start tomorrow? I think it starts tomorrow, right? So tomorrow's chapter one. Um, please be joining uh, in that. And then if you're, um, if you're online joining us too, you'll be able to find that uh, on the website there.